to really research. I mean, I'm sitting down there going, man, this guy needs to be like writing books about this. I've just been so blessed as we have seen the lives of saints that he's presented, that Pastor Pastor, uh, Joe has presented, that Corey has presented. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the life of, you know, I mean, we could look at the lives of very famous saints in in the Bible, you know, Peter and Paul and so on. But today I want to look at the life of a woman who really, I, I call her a fire stoker because she was kind of behind the scenes stirring on those missionaries that were called by Christ to impact the world with the gospel in the first century. Um, she wasn't out there preaching. She wasn't out there performing miracles, but she kept stoking that fire in the preachers. Uh, I want you to read with me. We're going to open to Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to begin reading a few verses here. We'll have others read in a bit, but Acts chapter 16. Now, by the way, this message this morning, I'm, I'm hoping for those of you who are here, are going to help you to maybe even get a bit more out of the sermon this morning, uh, because this is a lot of the background that goes into the sermon that I won't really be able to, to fully unpack, uh, but you're, you're going to get that, uh, that blessing of being able to kind of have the backstory a bit. Uh, let's begin in chapter 16 of Acts, verse 6. Uh, so here we have Timothy and Paul, and, and Luke would have been with them at this point. And Paul's going to get that Macedonian call. They've been prevented from going to certain places, and God had a very specific plan. The Holy Spirit had a plan in that Paul and his companions are going to go into this region of Macedonia. So Acts 16, verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, you know, we just came back from vacation this week, okay? And I want to tell you that when we got to the airport the first night, things did not go as we had planned, not at all. In fact, um, our flight got delayed to the point where they took us out onto the tarmac, and uh, as we're out there, like, reaching the runway, we suddenly noticed that we're coming back to the terminal, We're going, "Uh uh-oh, this is not a good sign. Well, what happened was they timed out. And what that means is that the the flight crew was going to go over their allotted time, and therefore they had to bring the flight back. Well, there was no crew to replace them, so we were stuck with having to figure out another way to get to where we were going. No flight that night. So, you know, here we have certain instances, like in verse 6, where uh, our expectations, and even, even when it comes to preaching the gospel, right, it is fully directed by God himself. Here we have the Holy Spirit saying, you're not, you're going to forbid you from going this way, but you are going to go this way. And that's what the Lord of the harvest has the right to do, doesn't he? He directs where and when and how. So in verse 7, and when they had come to, uh, to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
A man of Macedonia was there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, and you you notice the the change in the pronoun there, we, so we're talking Luke is including himself here because he's the author of Acts. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, and that's going to be the the saint that we're going to look at today, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household uh, and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Since my years, I, not everybody knows kind of our backstory as a family, but for a time I was the camp director at Camp Susquehanna. And since those days, uh, our family loves doing campfires. And one of the most useful people to have around when you've got a campfire going is a fire stoker kind of person. They're the one who may not start the fire, but rest assured, they're going to be watching that fire all the time and stoking it, making sure it doesn't go out. You know you know what I'm talking about. There's always one of them around that campfire, right? So, you know, the most gifted fire stoker that I know is a woman named Chrissy Wetzel. Um, if, you're, if you're going to have a campfire, you need to invite Chrissy. I have seen that woman start and keep a fire going from wood that had been soaked in rain for days. I don't know what magic she has, but that woman is able to keep a fire going, and she's determined. And I have seen that woman reach into a fire with her bare hands to keep that thing going. Okay? There's just certain people, that's what they do, right? Well, this morning we're going to look at another fire stoker, and her name was Lydia. Now, you may not know much about her. Uh, certainly, you, I, you know, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've heard about this woman. You, maybe you've named your, one of your children, Lydia, um, after this woman. But um, this is a woman who I think of as a woman who stoked the fire of gospel ministry for the kingdom of Christ. She was instrumental in the lives of, of Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. There was a uh, famous verse that many of us know in Philippians 4.13, and it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I happen to believe, just from the study that I have done, that Liddy was probably a factor in Paul understanding that and, and uh, that, that idea that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. She was possibly instrumental in Paul learning that. 
um, certainly accepting it, uh, certainly experiencing that. So we're going to look at three aspects of Lydia's life this morning. And the first aspect that we're going to look at is the idea that Lydia was a pioneering businesswoman. Okay, she was a pioneering businesswoman. Lydia, as we're told in the text, verse 14, was originally from the city of Thyatira. Now, that fact alone has a ton of significance surrounding Lydia's life, okay? First, Thyatira was founded by what was known as the Lydian Empire, okay? So there you have a clue as to where Lydia probably got her name from, from this historical empire that would have been part of her heritage. Second, Lydia was likely wealthy, and we'll discover a little bit more about why that is later, but that would have been in the likeness of the Lydian Empire and that that history. Uh, One of the kings of, of Lydia, his name was King Croesus, he was extraordinarily wealthy. And he is credited actually with the, the uh, invention of the Lydian, Lydian monetary system, which would have included the minting of coins and things like that. Third, Thyatira was largely populated by descendants of Macedonian soldiers. Now, I know some of this just seems like, you know, bland facts of history, but all of these things are kind of significant, especially this one. Uh, these Macedonian soldiers, typically, you know, if somebody goes through military training, that's going to be ingrained in them in some way, shape, or form for the rest of their lives. And, and that would have been no different in the lives of these Macedonian soldiers. What's significant about that is this, that the city of Philippi, okay, so Thyatira is where she's from, has all these pieces of history to the Lydian Empire, connections to the Lydian Empire. The city of Philippi, where she was living at the time, in Macedonia, had similar military inhabitants, but they were from Roman descent. Fourth, Thyatira was known for its production of two things. The first was bronze armor. Now, if you were to read Jesus' letters to the churches in Revelation chapter 2, you would read about his this reference to the church in Thyatira. This is what he said, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flame, a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. He's writing to that city that was known for two things, and one of the first things it was known for was bronze armor. The second product that that city was known for was the making of purple cloth. In fact, Lydia was likely part of a guild of purple sellers from her hometown of Thyatira. Look in verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, right? That would make sense because of where she came from. Now, you might ask, you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, The big deal about that is this, that poor citizens could not afford purple cloth. Purple cloth was like the Saks Fifth Avenue, you know, the Gucci of the day. And it was for 
really for rich people. It was a commodity for the rich. So Lydia, we can make a bit of an assumption here, as a seller of this commodity, as a creator and maker of this commodity, she had some pretty wealthy uh, friends, and she was probably wealthy herself. She probably was well-to-do. She apparently had a a large house, at least one large enough, as we read in verse uh, 15 and then again in verse 40, probably one that was large enough to host the Philippian church when it got started. Okay? One of my favorite qualities about Lydia that jumps right off the page here in Acts 16 is that she was probably a feisty woman. Okay? Now, I like feisty women. I married one, okay? Yes, amen for feisty women. I told her this morning, I said, you know, you you, you keep me looking good, okay? She does. I'd fall apart probably if she weren't in this world, but I'm so thankful. So if you look back in verse 15, we're going to see this a bit about Lydia. Um, And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us. Now that word, urge is the word parakaleo, and you've heard Pastor Joe, he, I, I've heard him talk about that word just in the last couple of months. It's that word uh, where you call someone alongside yourself, and you encourage them, exhort them on their way, okay? This word urge means that she is compelling them to do something. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, Lord, come to my house and she prevailed upon us. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about here, right? Timothy and Luke. She prevailed on us. That word prevailed in Greek literally means to compel someone by force. So I can almost picture Paul and his com- companions standing there by the river, dumbfounded kind of by this woman's persistence. She was probably like a a good used car salesman, you know. (laughs) Come on, you need this. Come, let's go. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia was, by all accounts, a successful, feisty a bit, uh, businesswoman in the city of Philippi. Now, if you wanted to have a successful business in the ancient world, Philippi was a great place to shop. In verse 12, Luke called it, you can look there, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. In fact, the people lived just as if they were Romans living in Italy. You can look at Acts 16, verse 21. That, that is... This was a province, almost like a mini Rome that was not in Rome. Okay, those who lived there lived as if they were fully, had the full rights of Roman citizens. So Philippi was also built upon a hillside that streamed down into very fertile plain. And there was lots of fresh produce that could be grown there. It was great for trade. The city was only 10 miles away from a major uh, seaport in Neapolis, we read about that city uh, already in these verses, where goods could be shipped in and out from. On top of that, Philippi had this major 
trade route that was running straight through the city. And you may have heard of this. It was called the Ignatian Way. Okay? And this was a trade route that connected two seas, the Aegean and the Adriatic Sea. So it was kind of a happening place in the first century. Philippi was a great place to open a business, to make money, but it was also a unique town in many ways. It was filled, like I had mentioned, with a number of uh, military families who settled there after multiple uh, Roman military engagements in that region. Lots of battles happened in this little spot. And Philippi was filled with veterans of war. Now, some of you here this morning have served in the military, and I, I have pastored several folks that had, had served in the military, several veterans, and I've been friends with several veterans. I'm, I'm still friends with several veterans, amazingly. Um, but I can tell you this. One thing that I've learned from pastoring veterans, from being friends of veterans, military folks do certain things in certain ways. Okay? Now, it might look a little bit different between the individuals, but there's always some sort of plan or regiment in place. There's certain things they do, certain things they don't do. I remember that anytime, anytime I've gone into a restaurant with a retired Marine, and by the way, there's no such thing as a former Marine, right? They're retired Marines always. And every time I've gone into a restaurant to meet with them, whatever, I always know this, their back will be against the wall. Because they want to see what's going on, okay? So I know this, that military folks do certain things in certain ways. In fact, I have a friend who grew up with, uh, in a military family, and her dad would set a timer when they sat down to eat dinner every night. They had to eat within a certain given period of time, and if they didn't, that was it. You're done. Now, imagine for a moment a city filled with folks like that. A city filled. And that was Philippi. As a result, the people did not like disruption. They didn't think, like things done in a different way. And it was frowned upon to bring any type of foreign religion into that city. Uh, and that's the city into which came Lydia, who was, in verse 14, a worshiper of God. That meant she followed Jewish religion as a Gentile. But because the Philippians did not take well to any religion outside of Caesar worship, Think about this. These are military folks who would have been committed to Caesar. They've bound themselves to his purpose, to his will. That's why we find that there was no synagogue in the city. They wouldn't have wanted that outside religion to come into their way of life. This is why Paul and his companions found the women gathered at the river on the Sabbath, in verse 13. They had to meet outside the city. 
that prayer group was kind of like, if you think of it this way, an underground synagogue. (laughs) Meeting at the river to pray. Because they couldn't go in the city to do it. That tells us that Lydia was a bit of a risk taker. And a true pioneer. There she was, living in a city with no synagogue, alongside a populace who did not accept her kind, who worshipped God. So she and these other women who joined her started their own prayer group down at the river. And before she ever met Jesus, think about this, before she ever met Christ, Lydia was a prayer warrior. Paul and his companions showed up, shared the gospel, and I love verse 14. Look there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And look at this. As they're preaching the gospel, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I love the word that Luke chose here to describe what, what happened, what the Lord did, really. That word, open, it's, it's a compound word in Greek, and it means to open straight through, okay, to open straight through. Like, you know, you, you hear of somebody getting shot through and through. It's, it's completely through. It reminds me of the English phrase, you know, he was... He was cut clean through. It means to be wide open, like when you, you go to the dentist, right? You go to the dentist, and what do they say? Open wide. You know? It's to completely open what had previously been closed. Almost every occurrence of this word in Scripture is used to describe the work of Christ. Almost every instance of this word. The work of Christ in opening deaf ears, opening mute mouths or tongues, opening obscured vision, and opening minds that had previously been able to previously been unable to understand scripture, even. This is vitally important. It is God who opened wide Lydia's heart to pay attention to the gospel. This implies more than just, you know, merely staying awake. In other words, you know, you, you remember that time when Paul was preaching and a guy fell asleep and fell out the window? That's usually what happens when Pastor Mike is preaching. Okay? People just fall asleep. Here Paul is preaching in another context, and God, the Lord, opens this woman's heart to pay attention. That's more than just staying awake, Okay? Um, it means that Lydia took it seriously. She attended to it. She was fixed on it. And she heeded it. Why? Because the Lord opened wide her heart. There was no resisting that. Lydia was dead in sin, just like we were before we met Jesus Christ. God granted her the faith to receive the message of the gospel in that moment. The Holy Spirit entered her heart, and Lydia became, think about this, the very first European convert. 
at least by the Apostle Paul, right? Think about that for a moment. Most of us are probably here because of the preaching of the gospel that flowed through Europe. You understand that, what I'm saying? This is the very first European convert of the Apostle Paul. Now, that's a pioneer woman. And she didn't do anything to earn it, but stand there hearing the gospel. (laughs) Responding because God opened her heart, and suddenly Lydia's, not only Lydia believes, but her entire household believes too, and all of them, in verse 15, get baptized. What a work of God's grace. The whole family. Well, there's a second aspect to Lydia's life, and that first one was long, so trust me, these, one, these next two won't be quite as long. But aspect number two, Lydia, she, not only was she a pioneering businesswoman, but she also made her house a house of healing. So by the end of verse 15, Paul, Silas, and Timothy and Luke ended up at Lydia's house kind of as their base of operations, okay? And that's a great lesson for us. Lydia used her God-given resources to stoke the fire of ongoing ministry of the gospel. Now, I want you to watch what happens. We're going to read Acts 16, verses 16. It's kind of a long section, but uh, we're going to read all the way through verse 39 to sort of get the context of where this is going. And think about all that's involved in how Lydia uses her resources, okay, to stoke the fire of gospel ministry. Go ahead, brother.
Okay. A lot happens in these verses, right? <laughs> there you are, Paul and Silas preaching the gospel. They end up getting beaten and thrown into prison, feet put in the stocks. An amazing miracle of grace happens in the life of the Philippian jailer and his whole family. They end up getting released. Now, if you're them, what would you do in this moment? You're beaten, bruised, bleeding. What would you do? That is, if you could still walk after the beatings that night that you took. They were probably stiff, tired, sore, wounds oozing from the flogging. If I were them, I'd say, I need a vacation. You know. <laughs> uh, they needed a little R&R, probably, to let their bodies heal, maybe process a bit what has happened, and maybe even encourage the hearts of all these new converts. <laughs> Think about that. Just put yourself in the shoes of one of those new converts. The very people who shared with you the message of the gospel go right on the heels of preaching the gospel to you. You believe this thing. They go into the city and they're beaten for it. So where do these guys go? What do they do? Look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. Interesting, isn't it? They could have done anything. They could have gone anywhere. The Spirit could have told them to go here, there, prevented them going to the next place. But what they do, the first thing they do is they visit Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, those new converts from the city of Philippi, they encouraged them and departed. You know, Lydia, in a way, reminds me a bit of, you know, the story of, of Harriet Tubman, who, during the Civil War protected some 70 slave families, you know, in these, these safe houses. Lydia had a spiritual safe house for these missionaries who had been attacked. And when they came back to her house, they needed a bit of time to heal and to encourage these new brothers who had just believed the gospel. Paul and Silas would have needed a little bit of time to recover, to move on to the next ministry. And there, where do they go? Well, they go to the house of the spunky businesswoman, Lydia, who's just using her home to stoke the fire of gospel ministry. Something happened in that home relationships were forming. Encouragement was happening. True fellowship and partnership and ministry was forming in that home. So much so that when Paul wrote the letter to this church that we have inspired in the Bible, he wrote with a deep affection. And I want you to listen to what he wrote. Someone has Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. If you could read that, just... This is what was forming in the house of Lydia.
Think about that for a moment. Paul's mind as he's writing that is flashing back. He said, from the first day until now. When was the first day? Well, we've just been reading it in Acts 16. That was the first day of Paul's ministry of the gospel in Philippi. This was all unfolding. Those relationships were forming right there in the house of that businesswoman who had her heart opened by God. And, and this became a tremendous relationship. In fact, and, and you know, we just read the story about how Paul was imprisoned. Well, when he wrote this letter, he was imprisoned again in Rome this time. Not in the city of Philippi, but he's writing from his imprisonment in Rome. And he's suffering again. And I will say this, that I, one thing I've learned is that when you have a common suffering with someone else, you almost don't even need to explain it to each other. You, you don't even need words to explain it. You just understand. And the best example that I have in our lives is that, you know, our son had a terminal illness for a time. And any time that I think of or know another parent who has had that same experience, we don't need to explain that. We have a common understanding of that suffering together. And as Paul's writing this Philippian church, they know, he knows. Why? Because they shared in this suffering together. And so Paul's writing again from prison. And I just want you to notice, like, how, you know, it, all that would have begun to form within that household of, of Lydia. I want you to understand and listen now to how Paul addressed this suffering with this church, his current suffering in his imprisonment in Rome. So we're going to read Philippians 1, verses 12 to 30.
So can you, can you sense that as Paul is writing? I mean, this is a powerful passage right there. A lot to it. We'll dig into that, Lord willing, this morning in the worship service. But can you sense that common suffering that they had and how that stoked within Paul? That fire, he's telling him, you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, even though you're in the midst of this suffering now that you know I had and still have. And all of those things were being formed within that house of Lydia. We need to move on. I just want you to think about that for one moment. How God could use your home, your effort of hospitality to spur and spark the fire of the gospel in the lives of people. Let me think about that. Now, not everybody's gifted, we'd say. You know, I don't have the gift of hospitality, but we're all called as believers to do hospitality, right? In fact, I think, if you can advance those slides, we've got a few uh, verses that you probably can't read from your seat, but Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's a, that's a, uh, a blanket command for all believers, Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 1 Peter chapter 4, I show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why do they have to come over tonight? Why do they have to show up at my doorstep? We need to do such things gladly because you know what? We don't know what the Holy Spirit might be doing under our own roof. We need to allow our homes to be used of God, just like this woman compelled these brothers to come to her home. And not only did they go there before they got beaten, they went there after they got beaten. And chances are that if you would do that before somebody suffers, they're going to be there when they're suffering. It's God's home with God's stuff in it. He's entrusted it to you and me. Well, I need to get to the last little aspect here of Lydia's life, and that is this, that Lydia demonstrated faithful stewardship from God. Now, there's one um, aspect of this, this bond that Paul had with this church, with the Philippian church, in which I believe that Lydia probably shared um, as a key figure in that role. And the reason that I say this is because this woman, right off the bat, we know that she probably had, uh, she was probably well off as this businesswoman, the seller of purple. Okay, we can, we can kind of conclude that from the text. This woman was well off. But what's so clear in the text, in addition to all of that, is that she immediately shares this stuff. I mean, we see it by her compelling these brothers to come straight to her home. Lydia was a faithful steward. I believe that she put her money where her mouth was. Okay. Paul wrote about the generosity of the Philippian church. 
along with all of the, the churches in Macedonia, in his second letter to, to the Corinthians. You can read about that later, chapter 8. He commends all those churches in Macedonia who even in their poverty gave to the cause of Christ, to the uh, relief efforts of the saints who were in suffering. But the passage that I want us to kind of look at, because it's specific to the Philippian church, is at the end of Philippians in chapter 4. So if you turn there, it brings us kind of back to our character of Lydia that we're looking at today, who, again, would have had every ability to, to be generous with what she had. So Philippians chapter 4, uh, we've got a final reading this morning, verses 10 through 20. Amen. Amen. I love this text. It's such a lesson for me. Paul is talking about that partnership of the gospel that he referred to in chapter 1 and how that continued with this particular church, with the Philippian church. In fact, he says that no other church for a time entered into that kind of partnership that you had with me. And he's writing this kind of thank you, not kind of, it was a thank you. He's, he's writing this thank you to express, not that I'm in need again, I'm just excited that, man, this is going to be credit to your account. You've been so generous, and I'm excited to see how God is going to bless you for your generosity. It's a good perspective for a missionary to have. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've had times, you know, I've, I, I feel like I'm always learning this as a missionary who is supported by both churches and individuals. That, you know, this is not about seeking the gift. First of all, this is about the gospel ministry. Second of all, it's about those who participate in that gospel ministry being blessed in their effort. And I mean, that excites me to think that those people who are so generous, God sees that generosity. And he blesses them. And that excites me, that this is a true partnership, that, you know, without any, 
any of those pieces to the puzzle. It's not happening. But the beautiful thing is that, you know, I, I actually like it. This is going to sound really bizarre to you, probably. You know, like, I remember as God was urging me, calling us into ministry as missionaries with SGM. You know what the biggest, I don't know what you want to call it. My biggest red flag was this right here. That, you know, as a camp director, it was easy for me to ask for support. Help the kids, you know, help the poor children. That's easy, okay? But and, and I'm having to get up in front of people and say, can you help us? <laughs> mm, that, so you know what I've learned through this process? <laughs> that, number one, it's an incredible opportunity to participate with people. I, I, I have grown to love the people in the churches who have partnered with, with us in gospel ministry. I just love them. They pray. They know when I'm suffering. They're suffering along with me. There's so many times when I, I, I'm in a situation in the middle of Sierra Leone or whatever. In fact, there was a time in Sierra Leone where I just barely missed a massive explosion. And in the back of my mind, in the back of my heart, is that those brothers and sisters who have been supporting us, who are praying, they're praying right now. <laughs> And I long for the day when we get to meet Christ. And maybe, just maybe, he'll let us in on some of what he was doing. Hey, you remember when you almost blew up, Mike? <laughs> well, hey, this church gathered in a prayer meeting to pray that day. Wow. That's the stuff that I get excited about. When I see, because, you know, honestly, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he can just dump it. He can just dump whatever we need. But you know what he does? He does something much better. He uses the church. <laughs> he uses all of us together to do this thing. And that's exactly what he did here with Paul and the Philippian church. And that woman, Lydia, pay, played, I believe, a vital role in this process. Of even Paul understanding. Hey, I can do all things who gives me strength. I've learned the secret to all this. And it's that. I don't care what circumstances I'm in. I don't care if I'm rolling in the dough or I'm dearth of it. The reality is that I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Amen. Hallelujah. Because in the end, in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how it works. You know... Calvary Bible Church, you remind me of the Philippian church. You are one of the most generous churches I've ever known. I have seen it. I've seen God use you, not only provide for our missionary work, but other missionary works around the world. And you've supported our work with SGM from the very beginning. I feel like I could write this letter to you. <laughs> Just copy it. Here you go. Thank you. You've helped those right here in York County. I was just sitting down last night reading that missionary uh, pamphlet that I'm guessing you produced, Lisa. Great job. I'm, I'm just looking through it and going, man, like Calvary Bible Church is, is being used of God around the world, here in York County, but in the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? Welcome home, by the way. I saw you over there. I just not early enough to say welcome, so welcome home. 
Like what a joy this is. You know what I mean? And, 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 and we have this example in this woman, Lydia, of just a faithful steward. We, we know very little about this woman, but we know enough to say from the very outset of God opening her heart, she shared what she had. She shared what she had. If there's anything out of this study that I've learned, it's, it's this right here. Just, this is God's stuff. It's not our stuff. So we share it. Now, you might not be an Apostle Paul or Silas or Timothy, but, my friends, you are still called by God to participate in gospel ministry. Whether you're in the trenches or you're stoking the fires from behind, you are still here to participate in gospel ministry. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but, and, I, and I won't share their name, but they're going to know who they are. There's somebody sitting in this room right now who I can think of is like that Lydia. It happens to be a woman <laughs> who prays for us. She gives out of what she has. And she's sitting right here in this room. She doesn't have a lot of physical strength. In fact, she's in pain a lot. But this woman does everything that she can by the grace of God to participate in gospel ministry. And she's sitting right among you. It is good for us to not necessarily exalt one another, right? In an ungodly way above Christ, but it is good for us to honor the brothers, it is good for us to, to look at the example of others so that we might do the same. Paul even said, follow me as I also follow Christ. And that's what we're doing this morning. That's what we're doing through this whole series. We're looking at the lives of examples to be followed. Who though failure, none of them were perfect. Lydia was not perfect by any means. She was a sinner saved by God's grace. God opened her heart that had been closed, just like all of us. But when we see an example of Christ, it's good for us to follow. Amen? All right. Father, thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity we have to read your word, to think upon your word. And thank you so much for the examples, not only of the biblical characters, but the historical characters, and even those who are among us even today. Thank you, because it reminds us of the grace of God to take a sinner, to redeem them, and to make them into somebody who can actually participate in the very gospel that they had previously rejected. Thank you for the examples among us of those who are generous, of those who opened their homes, of those who stoke the fire of ministry, even if it is back on this end of the pond even if it's within the confines of their own four walls in their home. Lord, we worship you for these things. We praise you because you are the God of all grace and that you use us, Lord, because you don't really have to. You choose to, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much.